For Thursday, July 30th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, hospitals around the state continue to be stretched by an influx of coronavirus patients. One hospital in middle Georgia has had its intensive care unit full since the first week of July. We thought we were busy back in March and April. We thought that 10 patients was a whole lot of patients that had COVID. Uh, And the reality is we would love to be back in April again when we had eight or 10 patients. Don Avery, CEO of Fairview Park Hospital in Dublin, Georgia, joins me to discuss what it's meant for his facility to care for more COVID patients in the last month than it did in March, April, and May combined. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. As COVID-19 hospitalizations rise, many parts of Georgia are left with few beds to take care of the sickest patients. State officials count fewer than five critical care beds available for a 17-county region centered on the middle Georgia city of Dublin. Don Avery is CEO of Fairview Park Hospital, the largest in that region. He joins me now to discuss what that means for his facility and his patients. Thinking about the impact that this pandemic has had on y'all's facilities specifically and kind of the other hospitals you work with, what has that been? I mean, we've seen hospitalizations rise steadily around the state. That, I'm assuming, has been the case for y'all as well. It's definitely true. Um, Our hospital tends to be the regional referral hospital for middle Georgia, and that means that the, the first choice typically of EMS is to come to Fairview Park. We frequently get transfers from other counties, uh, Bleckley County, uh, Dodge County, Manuel County, Johnson County, Washington County, those smaller counties around us, even those with hospitals, frequently we're getting patients transferred. And as a result, as it relates to COVID, we're getting transfers oftentimes from those hospitals. And of course, we've seen a dramatic rise since uh, the beginning of the pandemic in, in March. Talk to me about this kind of recent, uh, maybe the last few weeks, because hospitals were doing a lot of preparations earlier in the year, but now it feels like we've had this real pickup in activity over the summer. So what has that been like for y'all? Well, to give you some background, if we go back to March and April, the highest number we had inpatient-wise for COVID patients was 10. We had 10 in April. 
during the month of May, that number was pretty much single digits. June, that was pretty much single digits. In fact, if you look at uh, admissions that we had March, April, and May, we had fewer than 40 admissions uh, during the first kind of three months. When I say admissions, I mean COVID admissions. That number bumped up uh, to, to 26 in June. But just in the last few weeks, since July 1st, we've had 97 admissions of COVID patients, which means 60% of the total admissions we've had during this five-month pandemic have come in the last three weeks. Um, and that gives you some idea of the, the magnitude of this surge that we've experienced during the month of July. And of those 97 admissions we've had, we've peaked. I think one day we had 40 patients total, but that was kind of, there was a few people coming and going on the same day. 36 uh, was the highest that we had overnight. We've been as low as, I think, 28 or 29 uh, this month. It feels like maybe it's peaked over the last few days, um, but it certainly has not started to go down. And those patients that we're having uh, are very sick. About 40 to 50 percent of the patients that we admit uh, get admitted to the ICU. We have 15 COVID patients right now in our uh, ICU. We have a total of a 16-bed unit. 15 of those right now have COVID. Um, 12 of those are on vents. Uh, and then we have another uh, 16 or 17 patients on a, another cohorted unit and you can get a sense those are very sick people. Over 90% of the people right now that are admitted with COVID uh, have pneumonia and, and other respiratory issues as a result. I want to talk a little bit because you're talking specifically about ICU beds. I mean, that's a statistic that the Georgia Emergency Management Agency has been sharing publicly broken down region by region since the early days of this pandemic. And if we look at the reports, you know, for the very recent days, so this would have been the report that came out Wednesday, your region by GEMA's count only has one critical care bed available. And I actually scanned back through the last month of situation reports, and it looks like for y'all's region, you've been down to fewer than 10 ICU beds for the last month. So reflect for me, if you can, on those numbers, this kind of real lack of, of ICU beds that the state is tracking in your region. Well, it's, it's accurate information, Sam. In our region, again, of those other hospitals, uh, you know, they can speak more specifically to them than I can, but I know that uh, a couple of those hospitals don't even have ICU beds. A couple of them have only six or eight ICU beds. And even some of those, they don't have the services that we have, for instance. They, they may not have a cardiologist on staff or a pulmonologist on staff. And so they're limited in what they can take. I know a couple of these hospitals that have ICU beds don't have dialysis. And many of our patients uh, that are being treated for COVID also are dialysis patients. And so you've got to have more than just the, the bed. You've got to have other services. Our hospital has been full, our ICU has been full uh, since uh, virtually the first week of July. And that doesn't mean those same patients are there. There's turnover. Every day we have, you know, two, four, uh, maybe six patients that either get transferred to another unit when that patient gets better and doesn't need intensive care services. 
or maybe they've been transferred out. In a few cases, unfortunately, patients have also uh, passed away. So even though it, it remains full, it's been fluid and patients uh, are turning over. And the majority of our patients uh, do get better and go home and recover. We're seeing that kind of lack of beds in multiple hospital coordinating regions now. A number of regions are down to fewer than 10 beds. We've actually seen some zeros in some of these regions when it comes to the number of ICU beds available. So if it's not just y'all's region, but other regions are seeing this, what does that mean about the ability of a hospital like yours, where your region is already strained, to actually send patients potentially other places for care? Well, uh, there's two lines of thought I'd like to touch on. One is the, the communities in which we live, people need to take it seriously, and they need to follow the guidelines set down by the CDC, Department of Public Health, etc., and, and I really believe if the communities would be more disciplined in following these guidelines, we'd begin to see these numbers curtail. Uh, in, in the meantime, as we continue to have to take care of these patients, most of whom are coming through our emergency department, which is very, very busy, uh, we have the ability at Fairview Park to expand our 16-bed ICU. Uh, we could pick up eight more rooms because we could convert our post-acute care unit, our recovery room from our OR, there are eight beds down there or eight spaces for beds that are fully equipped just like an ICU would be with oxygen and suction and monitoring equipment, et cetera. And so uh, we could add eight, which is a 50% increase over what we have today, which we haven't had to do that, uh, but we know we could. Uh, we have 12 people on ventilators we have 15 total that we have, so obviously we're getting critically close to, to using all of our ventilators, but we know that we could borrow some, you know, trade off, if you will, with, uh, with another hospital perhaps. I'll, I'll touch on one other thing that's really is great to see in our industry, and it's the teamwork and the cooperation and the sharing of information and supplies. Uh, we have at least weekly calls and sometimes more frequently to ensure that the hospitals throughout the state uh, have uh, proper supplies that we can support one another on an as-needed basis, even on the uh, transfer of patients if necessary. And, and I'm wondering, too, about you mentioned transfers there. I mean, I think that if we want to think of these hospital coordinating regions, they're, you know, they're somewhat just kind of arbitrary. I think there's maybe this assumption that if you are at a hospital that can't take care of you, you will be able to be transferred to another hospital that can. Is it really that simple? Does the fact that we have potentially hundreds of ICU beds here available in Atlanta, does that effectively help people who live in middle Georgia that you serve? Well, it, it certainly makes it more challenging. You know, depending on uh, the, the health of a patient, the longer the transfer, the tougher it is on that patient. And they're in an ICU for a reason. They're very sick. In many cases, as I just described, they're on a ventilator. And if they are, a long transfer is very difficult. Now, that being said, you are exactly right about these, these regional boundaries are, are really kind of artificial boundaries. But the reality is, you know, we may be a regional referral hospital in middle, middle Georgia, and that's great for these smaller hospitals. But if we're full, uh, then we can't take transfers. 
And then you begin to look to Macon, you look to Savannah, Augusta, um, and Savannah and Augusta are, are two hours away from us. And so um, those are potential options, um, but, but it's not easy getting to Atlanta. As you well know, the traffic's tough and the distance is, is what it is. So they don't help us out as much as they might North Georgia um, or the Atlanta area itself. So when these beds begin to fill, and they are, you know, there are not beds available. We have looked uh, over the past couple of days, what are our options to transfer patients to, uh, to Macon, to Savannah, even Augusta? And we have had a couple of opportunities, but uh, they're very, very limited um, in, in terms of bed availability. And then you hit on a very important thing, and that is staffing. Staffing will become an increasingly critical issue um, which will probably uh, preclude some hospitals from expanding uh, bed capacity. I think that we have this assumption here for people who might not really pay attention to the way that hospitals work, that y'all are all kind of the same when it comes to your ability to easily work well with with one another. But we really do have a mix of different kinds of facilities here in the state. We have privately held hospitals. We have hospitals that are owned by hospital authorities, which are more publicly focused. I mean, there's so much coordination that's ultimately being called for here. Do hospitals really have the ability to work together in the ways that they need to here? Um, First of all, the the ownership or governance structure of a hospital really doesn't limit in any way the way we can coordinate and work with each other operationally. It more is an issue of of ownership and do you pay taxes or not pay taxes. And we will take patients from anywhere. It doesn't matter if they're from a critical access hospital, from a privately held hospital, et cetera. I, I think that the... Um, concerns people might have is what services are offered. And that's really the bigger issue. Critical access hospitals have very limited resources beyond basic primary care. Um, Our hospital is pretty unique, even though we're technically a rural hospital, we provide lots and lots of services. But then the transfers typically are going to these tertiary and quaternary service hospitals like a Navicent or a Memorial or a you know, you think in Atlanta of a Grady or um, Gwinnett, some of the big hospitals there. The problem is everybody wants to send their sickest patients to those hospitals and where they have the ability to take care of them, their biggest shortcoming might be um, staff. So the, 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 the most limited hospitals are the ones in most crisis because they have to transfer these patients and it's hard to find a place that will take them. Um, and And that is probably the biggest challenge. Uh, it's not a, an ownership or organizational or governance issue. It's, it's really of what services can they offer issue and then who can take them further up the food chain. Where we are now seems to be such a different place than where we were earlier this year. So if we want to think about building capacity, maybe specifically focusing on that, making sure we have enough resources, hard material, space, staff, to make sure the people that are continuing to get sick with this disease actually can get the care they need. What's the solution here? How do, how do we make that a reality? i tell you, Sam, when, when we both figure out the answer to that, we'll write a book together. But I think the biggest challenge we have in the industry today is, is staffing. It's labor. Um, and in a crisis like this, we see that need for labor is exacerbated. 
resolving that is not short term. Um, on the short term, uh, the fact that these hospitals are willing to share resources and, and equipment and supplies, et cetera, is a big factor in getting us where we need to be. Um, but, but I do think that, um, uh, you know, the long term uh, is going to take some, some planning and, and more, more resources, uh, not in paying people more so much. We just need to, to train more. Um, I, I do want to comment on one more thing that, that you touched on. We thought we were busy back in March and April. We thought that 10 patients was a whole lot of patients that had COVID. Uh, and the reality is we would love to be back in April again when we had eight or 10 patients. Um, but here's the good news. We went to school back then. We learned a lot uh, during what we thought was a stressful crisis time. And in many respects, at least at our hospital, I'm seeing our staff do a better job of caring for 30 patients than they did for 10 in April. And plus, we're learning not just locally, but nationally on better ways to care for these patients. So in many ways, we were, we were fortunate to have had this uh, kind of introductory period back in uh, March, April, and May, and it's allowed us to do a, a really better job in what I would call a significantly uh, more heightened crisis uh, today. Uh, than we had a couple of months ago. Don Avery is CEO of Fairview Park Hospital in Dublin, Georgia. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. Special thanks to Stephen Key. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at wash your hands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary, but when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate and thanks.